0: Welcome. I'm Doug Cassina. I'm an artist, a gallerist, a curator, and a collector. And this is Artbound, where we deconstruct the myths and misconceptions of the art world. We have the conversations here with artists that aren't going to be found anywhere else. In this episode, we're talking about art and the fear of failure. I have two amazing artists as guests today who are going to help us talk about it. Kwang Ho is at his studio in Denver, Colorado. Hi, Kwong. Hi, Doug. And uh, Daisy Patton uh, is in Western Massachusetts. Hi, Daisy.
1: Hello there, everyone.
0: So before we dive into the topic, I just want to give listeners some background on the two of you. Kwang Ho is a master artist uh, in both uh, OPA, Oil Painters of America, and the American Impressionist Society. He's a prominent teacher and resident artist at the Art Student League of Denver, and he splits his time between his studios in Denver and Pennsylvania. Daisy Patton is a multidisciplinary artist uh, in the contemporary field. She has an MFA from the School of the Museum of Fine Arts at Boston Tufts University, and has residencies at Minerva Project, Anderson Ranch, Mass Mocha, Redline, to name a few. As I mentioned at the top of the show, we're here to talk about art and the fear of failure. You know, it takes a lot of courage to do what we do as artists. You know, we're always putting our artwork out there. We have, uh, you know, a different lifestyle than other careers. And I'm really grateful that you're joining us with this. So the first kind of topic that I want to dive into is this idea of, am I good enough? You know, it's normal to compare yourself with peers and colleagues and sort of see how you're doing, but it can also go sideways when you're, you know, those comparisons go into judging yourself or judging your artwork. Have you guys ever done that? Yeah. Daisy, you start.
1: Yes. Yes. I, I think that's something that any artist with any kind of... Uh, humility, I guess, has come across them uh, themselves. I regularly think to myself that I may be a good painter, but am I making mediocre paintings, which is devastating to think about. So, you know, it's one of those things that is in the the sort of lockbox that occasionally will peek out and you'll be like, oh, no, 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 you have to go back in because I have to do some work. But I I, I do think that, you know, especially if you have any kind of ambition or, or goals, career goals or otherwise, uh, those questions are going to haunt you in some capacity. At least they do for folks that I think have a a sort of centering of themselves and and an understanding of their role within the arts in a, a larger context, both art historically and then, you know, our current society.
0: Do you compare your work? Is it just actually looking at technique? Or are you comparing success? Are you comparing exposure? What What are the things that, like, you know, pop out to you when you're looking at somebody else's art?
1: Yeah, well, I think it, it depends on the medium. So, you know, I, I think we mentioned at the beginning that we're all painters here, although I do multidisciplinary work. So I have done some sound mediocrely <laughs> and um, some fiber embroidery work. And, you know, I think that, and photography. And so as a painter, it's, it's easy to be able to look at a piece and have a good sense of like the skill level and like what went into it. I think that painters have their own sort of recipes on how they paint, which is why studio visits are such a delight because you kind of get a peek into that. Mm. Or if they post in progress shots or YouTube videos and you can kind of be like, oh, that's how you do that. And so those those tend to be okay in terms of being able to see it. Like there are some painters whose work I see that I just, I hate them. <laughs> 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 <laughs>
0: well, Do you want to you name know, some names?
1: Um, I said, you know, you just look at it. I, the thing is, like, I think that having a painting practice is my lot in life to learn patience, which I don't have. <laughs> so, <laughs> when I see someone who has painted individual blades of grass, like Ashley Williams or John Guy Petruzzi or Kobe Moles's beautiful just it just makes me mad you look at it and you're just like oh no I mean you know you could probably do that if you spent the time and the wherewithal and Quang Yu and I have a very different painting style I couldn't do a lot of those things but I I really just want to rip my hair out when I have to yeah. so <laughs> <laughs> I'm always very deeply appreciative when I see somebody else doing that kind of stuff but also you know you, when you look at other folks art you get really excited and it inspires you to go back and hopefully make some halfway decent work. How about you, kong
2: Well, that that question of "Are you good enough?" is is uh, the reason why you paint to begin with. Is because it starts with an excitement, and then you see, and then there's this like, I wonder if I'm going to be good enough because that's that's the ladder that you try to climb, isn't it? It's like me trying to play golf. I the first time I hit the ball once, I was hooked, but it it's a difficult ass game. I can't get good at it, not the way like you know Tiger Woods good at it, but with painting. I'm constantly trying to get better at it. It's like I, I realize there's two aspects to painting. One is the performance aspect of it, and it takes you a lifetime to become a master, as they say. And to master your craft, because there's a certain amount of joy in that, right? And and you know when you've gotten better at doing something, you try it, you try it, you try it, and all of a sudden, bam! In two strokes, you get it. And then and then the the other aspect of painting is understanding your concept having a much broader view of the world and, and so you, and a broader view of art and that's they're two separate things so the question is am I ever good enough I wouldn't do it if I didn't feel like I didn't have a chance at being good enough and that's that. the problem with that is when you're trying to make a living by the time you're trying to make a living at it hopefully you'll be on that question because, you know, by then you say, if I'm not good enough, I can't make a living at this. You know what I mean? There's a certain level of that. And that's why you go to school to try to see if you're you're qualified to do this.
0: As somebody who's golfed with you and seen you painting, uh, I absolutely know that you're much better at both than I am. (laughs) What are those external influences that kind of give you that feedback about, am I good enough? You know, is it sales? I know you were talking about uh, making a living. Is that one of those things that drives part of that good enough?
2: Yeah, well, there's this, there's a certain amount of, of comparison, you know. I, hopefully, if, you'll in, if you're intelligent enough, you can look at what's going on around and see how you stack up. But if you're delusional and think you're good when you're, you know, not quite there yet, and then you wonder why your work isn't selling, you know, uh, that's a problem. And so it there has to be a certain amount of objectivity. And f- for me, I've been the reason why I'm a better painter than you is because I've spent a whole heck of a lot more time doing it than you have, you know, every day grindingly. And because oh,
0: it's I know difficult. that,
2: <laughs> but I'm just and saying, I,
0: I use you as an example all the time when I'm talking to like students, I remember having an auditorium full of like 60, you know, BFA candidates and I told them, you know, people like Kwong are a master because they've made more bad paintings than yes. you cumulatively yes. have ever painted in your life. Yes. Like Kwong has piles and piles of bad paintings hidden somewhere. Oh, yeah.
2: yeah, I can show it to you. <laughs> but I think my point now, uh, what I am now, my I compare it to myself. So I've done it long enough to know when I've done a good painting or a bad painting, you know and And so I, I don't need to compare it out there anymore, and interestingly, when I do a good painting, it's ninety percent chance better chance that it'll sell than when I do a painting that I'm not happy with and that That question goes into what is what is a good enough painting, what is not a good enough painting? What do you think, Daisy?
1: Well, I was going to actually ask Doug because Doug, you're also a painter, and you you paint abstract work, which is radically different from me and Kwong, how do you answer those questions? I'm actually curious.
2: Oh my gosh. Oh, that's a great question. That's a great question. Before I answer
1: your question, Kwong, I'll come back. Yeah,
2: (laughs) I love that. I love that.
0: You know, for me, I think I use a lot of the same kind of uh, signposts that you guys do. You know, it's all about composition. It's about the way your eye flows through a painting. So a lot of the way that I'm judging that is on, is it something that I'm interested and excited about? Yeah. I look at artwork all day long and kind of my measure now is, is it exciting to me? And so I, I think I'm kind of there with you, Kwong, about uh, having myself as that. Right. What are your thoughts, Daisy?
1: Well, I was going to say I, when I think about the work that I'm making, obviously I would like to make a living and sell paintings, but I try to keep capitalism out of my uh, sort of like ways of of determining whether or not my work is good.
2: Absolutely.
1: Yeah, you know, I think Got the thing is like it. much like you, Kwong, and much like you, Doug, I, I'm looking at my, I. I'm a very competitive person. Like I used to do dates. And I've learned to have friendships that I need to compete with myself rather than other people. It's too <laughs> <much>. um, <laughs> you know, when you're painting something that, um, you know, when you're being lazy, you know, when you're making something that's not as great as it could be. But I, I will say that the older I've gotten, I have deliberately started to leave um, mistakes in the work. Um, to some extent, it's a, it's almost like an Easter egg that someone is is paying enough attention that they can catch that mistake. So a lot of the times I'm working with patterns and sometimes I may miss painting in certain aspects of it because it's very tedious and it takes forever. And I'm usually working until three in the morning. Yeah. Um, so I'm not at my most awake. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I think that you, you know when you're phoning it in and when you can do better
0: you know, you were mentioning that you leave mistakes in your paintings. So you obviously think that there, they were mistakes in some way. Does this fear have a voice in your artistic practice?
1: Um, you know, I think for me and, and Kwang, I don't, and, and Doug, I don't know if this is how you all think of painting, but for me, I think that perfection is an impossibility. And if I were to make the perfect painting, I would never paint again. So the idea of trying to reach something that is just absolutely perfect is a great way to never, never get to work again.
2: Yeah, no question. Yeah.
1: You know, and the other thing is, I don't, I don't know how you all feel about this, but sometimes, you know, you make something and you're like, I don't know what to think about this. And it's an odd duck that you kind of have to put aside and some part of your studio and not look at for a while and then eventually come back to it and go, well, that sucked (laughs) into the fire (laughs) as you go. Or or you're like, oh, actually that, that kind of works in some way, or there's a kernel of some sort of idea that you can then pull into another painting further along down the road. Mm -hmm. Um, What about you, Quang?
2: Yeah. No, those, those elements of of allowing things to happen and, and taking chances like that. And you grow from those mistakes as you call it, you know, Because uh, the the way I teach now, the way I think about it, I was on stage and I spontaneously said this, and I think it's so true. I said, if you make a decision when you're painting, it's always correct. When you don't make a decision is when fear is involved, right? Because you're afraid you're going to screw it up. But if you make, if you go along and you, you, you get to a point where you don't know what to do and you wait for an impulse and you trust that impulse and you go with it. You make a decision. It's always correct. Now, it doesn't mean you can't change your mind about it and make another decision on top of that, of course, but, but fear will cripple you. You know, fear will, 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 um, the subject of fear is really, um, something that I've been, that is, is big in my philosophy about life. The, The moment when my life changes, I realize that there's two aspects to, to reality. One is love and the other one is fear. And fear is what creates hate and greed and everything else. But fear controls our life in every aspect and we don't even realize it. But once I realized that, I'm like, wow, and fear is really not real. It's actually real to us. But it, like what I'm afraid of, you know, Daisy, you're not afraid. You don't have no concept of what i so, so it's it's in our own each individual figment of imagination. You know what I mean? So you, what you're afraid of, I don't understand. I'm like, what? what? What do you mean? Why would you be afraid of that? So. In that sense, it's self-created and is not based on truth on the universal sense. So once I understood that, I started to look deeper into uh, and it works with painting too. You 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 get to a, a work of art, and especially when you're p- trying to paint for a show, all of a sudden this little creepy, little creepy voice in the back of your head said, Don't fuck it up, because you gotta have now painting has gotta work out for the show, you know? And then all of a sudden you think. You don't realize it, but subconsciously it's already back there gnawing at you. Like it doesn't allow you to, to be fully expressive. And to be, when I'm really in touch with my painting, I'm painting like I'm not even there. And those are the, the most wonderful experience. But so really fear is, is the, uh, the realm of the ego. If your ego is involved, fear is always there. You know, period. Do you
1: allot yourself like a, a for me at least? I I have to make a bad painting, and I know that it's like required. And if I haven't made a bad painting in a while, it makes me really nervous because then I'm like, well, is <laughs> all this bad then? So, like, you know, I usually try to get my bad paintings out on a smaller scale because I work very large. Um, I'm I'm next to some of them right now, actually. Um, And they're all life size, and so that me and life size figures, which means that they're very large and therefore very expensive to make a mistake on. Wow! And so I usually try to to have like a portion of work that is like my experiment and my play section because that's where I get my bad paintings out, and all of the rest of them are there are some sort of like sketches, digital sketches that I do before I start making work, and so at the very least, it won't be a colossal failure; it'll just be really mediocre. (laughs) which is a failure to me. Do you do do that same sort of like built-in planning of like, I've got to make some bad paintings. This is part of being a painter. You've got to do some bad stuff.
2: Oh, no, my bad paintings paintings come whether I like it or not. (laughs) (laughs) I want to know what you mean by a bad painting, because when I try to do a bad painting, it actually turns out pretty good. But when I try to do a good painting, it turns out bad. (laughs) You know what I mean? (laughs)
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I I feel like it's the the various forms of processes. I also think a lot about like it also depends on what kind of a painter you are. So I like to say that there are two camps of painters. There's yes. the painters that you have to rip the painting out of their hands because they'll just keep painting them over and over again. So like someone I really love is like Homari Akeda in Denver, and he is that person. I've I've literally gone into a studio and been like, I really love this piece, and then I'll come back a couple hours later and it's. Just, totally different. And I'm like, no. <laughs> <laughs> and I know this, I is, this is across creative fields, right. Where, you know, there are musicians who do this as well. And then there are the really like decisive, I'm going to paint this thing. If it doesn't work, I'm throwing it away and I'll, I'll start. And I, I'm very much in that camp. I'm not a person mm. that wants to repaint anything ever again. And so, mm. you know, for me, the, the experimental pieces are ways to test out new ideas and and all of that good stuff and are also opportunities to, you know, make something that doesn't work at all. Mm -hmm. Because I I do think that that, you know, if you're in a creative field of any kind and you're trying to make artwork that is genuine and hopefully has some quality to it, you have to make some bad work to go with it. And you may not know at the time that you're making bad work, You know, it'll come afterwards and you'll look at it and you'll go, oh gosh, wow. (laughs) But it's not, you know, I think the thing is like, if you, if you have that like programmed in, I'm going to fail, then it's not debilitating because you're like, well, on to the next one. We'll just keep going.
0: You know, I've always heard that it takes two people to make a painting. Mm. One to paint it and one to tell you to stop. <laughs> and for me, I think that that's absolutely a truism. And really? I've had some wonderful studio mates who, when I start getting stuck or start overworking it, you know, in my beginning process, uh, have told me, hey, this is already at, uh, in completion because there is this tendency to overwork mm. something. <clears throat> that was a really helpful lesson for me to learn amongst many.
2: Yeah. I think that's, I think that, that, that aspect of, of learning as individual artists to know when your work is finished is actually an art in itself, right I mean it you know instead of sure, it'd be nice. I mean, if you put a painting up on Facebook and ask an opinion you're gonna everybody will have a take on it and and all of them think they're right, so after a while, you're like okay okay that that doesn't work, so you have to learn as an artist to be in tune enough with your work. And, and have enough experience to know uh, when you decide that the work is fresh and done, or if, if it might be fresh, but there's not enough structure and not enough nuances to lead you like a symphony, and you need to keep working and hopefully not kill that freshness. So that, that's all uh, a balancing act. You know, there's a, a, for me, I know now, you know, when a painting just needs more and when and, and it has nothing to do with more detail. It, it it there's a dialogue that happens on the surface that, that every all the bits and all the pieces talk to each other in an eloquent way and then if i say one more thing it's too much you know but it's not about how much detail
0: well and speaking of social media and getting that kind of feedback has there been a a moment you know of failure either public or on the private arena that was really significant to you that you can point out and say that was one of those times.
1: You know, I, I'm fairly candid with showing some aspect of process on my mm-hmm. social media feed, mm-hmm. which I think that some artists do and some artists are very protective of their process and don't want to share that, which, you know, reach right, their right. own. Right. Right. I have taken photos of the bad paintings too. And there have been moments where I've said, oh, this doesn't work. And there are occasionally some people who are like, oh, it's actually okay. And I'm like, no, it's not. (laughs) 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 I think that one of the more interesting questions that people ask is, you know, when do you know when a painting is done versus how do you make your work? Which I find to be the most irritating question (laughs) of Mm -hmm. all. Because I, I think that that is such a. I don't want to say subjective because there have been moments where paintings that I find very dissatisfying, other people really latch onto and enjoy. And mm. I've got to say, there are some paintings that I have that have not sold that I'm like, why? Yeah. <laughs> Those are really good paintings. Those are some of my favorite pieces. Why have they not found homes yet? I'm I'm irritated that whoever it is that has not up to pick it up. <laughs> I think it's like trying to water a plant. You know, it's a living... Your practice is a living thing. And I say this as someone who... Had a painting practice as an undergrad and then hit an eight year painting block, which was quite devastating.
0: Mm. And I
1: think that, you know, um, there's always this sort of fear of, oh no, is this going to come back? Mm. I needed to do some other kinds of work before I could come back to painting. I actually, in this case, in my work, needed to get into photography to be able to return back to painting. And now I can't make pictures anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that um, a, lot of, a lot of that ends up being present and ends up being public in the ways that you're like showing, showcasing your work and trying to get some kind of like recognition and all of that good stuff. But it's a plant mm. that you have to keep watering uh, or else you'll just kill it.
2: <laughs> mm, that's a nice way to look at it. Yeah, that's a nice way to look
0: at it. I personally... Can't keep a plant alive. (laughs) You know, one of those things, I I really love that you were diving into the idea of, you know, that kind of creative spirit. The idea that, can I bring this back? Am I going to be inspired? You know, and I think I always go back to that idea of, you know, inspiration is for amateurs. Yeah. You know, a personal fear of mine was I, I have 10 years of sobriety. And when I got sober, I remember wondering, am I going to be able to paint? Wow. You know, am I going to be able to have that same creative inspiration as a person being sober? You know, certainly just getting into the studio and actually doing the work answered that pretty quickly. But that was one of those things that was a really present fear for me. Uh, We're going to take a really quick break here. And then we're going to come back and uh, start talking about one of my favorite topics here, which is imposter syndrome. This is where I am confessing that this is my first time on a podcast. Uh, you know, I'm used to doing symposiums or other kind of panel discussions, but, uh, you know, I absolutely don't know what I'm doing here and I'm <laughs> faking it till I make it with this one. So I, I I have to confess that right now in this moment, I'm suffering from a little bit of imposter syndrome. Is that something that you guys can connect with as artists?
2: I uh- Well, I'm speaking for myself. I know I've never had that. I don't even know that you guys had to explain to me what that word meant.
1: Yeah. I I mean, I think that, I think it really depends on what kind of body you're inhabiting when it comes to imposter syndrome. I'm going to say it to two male painters, but I'm going to say what I'm (laughs) going to say. I think that women painters are pretty goddamn fantastic and don't get a lot of credit for it. And some of it, I think, is color, which is often put into this, like, lesser category. And, of course, I work very tremendously with color. So I
2: think so. I think you actually absolutely right yeah. about that.
1: I was a very arrogant 19-year-old who thought, I'm going to be a famous painter. And then I had my creative block. <laughs> and now I'm, I'm after that to where it is. I'm making. I'm a good painter. Whether I make good paintings is a separate question. You know, my my ambitions are... I want to be at a certain level of conversation with some other folks. But I've had a lot of conversations with other uh, female painters and and folks who are from marginalized communities. And so often they're making such fantastic and important work. And I usually have to go into their studios and say, have the confidence of a mediocre white guy. Because, (laughs) you know, so often, so often we are judged based on how confident we are. And It's one of those, if you don't have the confidence, just fake it until you make it kind of a situation. So for example, I lived in Seattle for Mm -hmm. about nine months. And I had left Denver and I had just had a museum show. I had just had a big gallery show. I had had another exhibition with a um, body of work that got a lot of national uh, prominence and went viral. And I moved to Seattle and into a studio building with a bunch of older guys that... All looked at me like I was some kid. Never mind that I'm <laughs> well into my 30s at that point. And you know, I was I was waiting for my fabricators to make my larger work, and so I was working on a smaller scale, which is for me a 24 by 18, which is not small for a lot of people. And I got so irritated. They come in and they tell me, you know, watch whether the door is open or closed. Make sure you turn off the heat. Like I'm some like. Made or whatever, and so I was like, Screw you guys. I had my fabricators build a 10 foot tall painting, and then I bought a really big ladder, and then I painted it, and I never heard (laughs) from them again. So, you know, I think that particularly in the art field, it is very challenging, and I, I don't think it's one of those things. I think a lot of people try to ascribe this as like some sort of excuse. I don't think that's a fair. Fair statement. Just because on a societal level it can be very challenging to be from different communities and and specifically you know different sort of identities where you are not respected for who you are when you walk into a room. I am constantly underestimated, and the ways that because I am shorter, I seem very nice and polite, but I'm also a bulldog, and most people don't realize that until they piss me off. <laughs> <laughs> so you know, for me, it's not so much an imposter syndrome, so much as that I'm supposed to be here. I I went to a prestigious grad school. I've done these things on my resume. I'm gonna do more things on my resume. I have a book coming out about my practice, and here I am. Respect me for who I am, kind of a mm. thing. So, Absolutely.
0: You know. you know, and that's interesting because that idea of faking it till you make it. You know, does there ever become a point where you actually feel like you made it? Mm. Example for me is. At the gallery right now, we have an exhibition up where I've placed uh, works in a couple museums from the show. We've sold a ton of artwork from the show during a pandemic. On the second floor of the gallery, I have an artist who's shown at the Venice Biennale, which is, in my mind, one of the biggest venues in the world. And I still don't know if my little gallery is doing any good. <laughs> uh, you know, so is there like... You know, if, if you would have told me that five years ago, that this is what you would be doing, I would have been like, Oh my God, that that's making it. But in the moment it, you know, I, it, it's kind of hard to have that judgment about where you're at and where your where your artistic practice is at or what those goals are. So do you ever make it? Well, that's such,
2: yeah, I think that's a great question. You know, somebody asked me that one time I was being interviewed and they, they asked me, uh. They said, what's your definition of success? And I never really thought about it before, but my immediate answer was, you know, to me, success is being excited about getting up in the morning. And that that's how I feel about painting. I mean, I, that's how my life was. And I and, and my wife, uh, Adrienne, you know, she went to, to MFA uh, in Boston and uh, she has an MFA at Boston University. But she asked me about my goals and what did I have when I was growing, up, learning to be an artist. And I said, you know, I never had goals. I never, the the, the word failure never entered my, entered my mind and the word success never entered my mind. And for me, it was all about getting up and getting excited about what I'm doing. And if I made, you know, my first year, I made about, about $14,000. And and I come from Vietnam, I didn't have much of money at all. So that was huge. I saved every penny. And then the following years I doubled that and I doubled that. But the thing was, it's really strange because I never the, the whole idea of can I make it or not, I would never ever say that I couldn't make it. There was a point of fear. I was gonna ask you guys about this too, to see how you were as you beginning artists and what expectations you had. And what did you do to make it in the beginning? Because it's always difficult to make it in the beginning. But there was a point where I was afraid whether I would be making enough to have a house, a car, you know what I mean? But before that, it was just like one step, one foot in front of the other and getting my work done. And and if I sold it, anything at all, it was very exciting. I saved it. I saved, I squirreled more away than I would spend. And for me, selling a painting allows me to buy time to do the next painting and it was it wasn't even a plan, but it wasn't is that does that seem strange that I didn't have a a goal so I never really really knew what if, i don't know what failure is, and i don't know what success is
0: <laughs> i you know I think that's exactly why you have successes because you didn't have these preconceived notions of what it is you know for me, i think. That's a mistake that a lot of artists who are entering into the field do is they you know, say that, OK, this is how somebody else made it. And this is the path towards that. And I have to hit X, Y and Z markers. And that's how I determine success. But one thing I've absolutely noticed is every single artist's path is different. There's no recipe for this. And you have to kind of fake it till you make it or just keep moving forward, keep going into the studio, keep doing the work. Mm -hmm. In order to achieve those goals. Do you guys think that is it criticism? Is it getting into magazines? Is it are, are these elements of external validation that are these kind of road markers for you guys as far as have I made it? Is it a museum show? Daisy? Is it getting that national attention? Are those the things that have become indicators for that validation? What does that look like for you?
1: You know, I I think that the goalposts move often from where you initially Mm -hmm. were and what you hope to continue doing, because at at the end of the game, uh, end of the road, you, you really want to grow. It's not necessarily about certain accolades, although those are very lovely, but I I think that especially if you have a painting practice, and I, I think this is a different thing for painters specifically. What's very important is seeing that sort of progression in terms of how you're working and stuff. What about you, Kwong?
2: That's such a good question. I think there are validations. I wanted to say that for me, and I mean this on a personal level, this is if, I, if, if I'm thinking about someone else, how someone else feels about my work, I'm already in the wrong place. I really don't care if a museum carries my work or what big show or what award I get, I've gotten awards before in my life. And in the end, they don't really mean anything to me. It's, it's really nice. It's nice to have that recognition because there's a connection with other people in that way. But, but you have a chance in this lifetime as an artist, for me, I don't have to worry about making a living, doing some other thing, but even if I had to, would I continue to paint or not? So for me, the, the, the answer is yes. I would find some way to just do my own painting at night, at two in the morning, whatever it is, because I love it, you know, because it's part of who who I am. But but waiting for the the, the museum and all that. You know, actually, the Denver Art Museum asked me to present some work to show them, to purchase, and I never showed them anything. And the reason why is. I didn't feel like I was ready with with myself. I didn't like what I was doing yet. I'm still learning, you know. So I didn't have a body of work that I wanted to show them. And so now things have changed at the museum, and curated, moved on. But it doesn't matter to me. So it's like this wonderful movie, Babette's Feast. Have you you ever seen that movie? No. It's it's really wonderful, and and at the it's it's uh, about this great French chef who got displaced to Sweden because of the war. And in the end, she had one opportunity because she won some big uh, a lotto. And she made this tremendous meal for these people who didn't know what a good meal was, you know, that didn't even drink wine, but she didn't matter. She gave it her all for this one meal for a chance to to be her best as an artist again. And that's, that sounds so Hollywoodish, but for me, that's I'm still waiting for that chance. I'm in here. My mind is all around trying to get that one painting. That would be like, ah, I worked my entire life to get that thing to be, to fit somewhere along the line of the history of art that I know about the history of art, but it's my best effort. And that's, that's sort of what I'm looking for. And.
0: You know, it sounded like when you were talking about a possible purchase for the Denver art museum that you didn't necessarily think your work was ready for that or Mm. that you weren't ready for it personally Mm. what does perfectionism look like as far as your art practice yeah
2: well i think daisy said that perfectly at the beginning if you have an idea of perfectionism it's then you you know it kind of slows you down there is no such thing as perfect but however I just wanted to really like what you know what I had because I'm such an experimental artist. What do I give them? I mean, do I give them one of my abstract experiments, or do I give them one of my figurative things, or the the landscape, giant landscape things that I had experimented on for three years? And uh, actually, my last solo show in, in in March, right before COVID, I had four paintings that I spent two years on, and I didn't like them at all. But in the end. I like them and I would have been happy to show them those, you know, but they, they got sold at the show, which is, which is great. But there's a point where you kind of know for me anyway, I, I'll know when I've done something good and it has nothing to do with perfection. They were far from being perfect, but for me paintings like composing a great orchestral piece where you can have all these different movements, all these different melodies and notes, but in the end it's, it's how they flow together for me. and I think there's a beautiful universe of truth that I'm trying to find. and it has nothing to do with painting every single blade of grass. It has there's a mysterious thing that comes together with painting you know and and it requires for me it requires the skill there's a perfection in that sense, with the skill where some days I'm just flowing like every mark I make is right deadly you know and and it just flows and then other days I'm chiseling I'm chiseling and I'm just and nothing fits together so it's kind of a weird thing so it's it's not really perfection but you just know it when it's happening and it's good you know and I think doing a for me doing a good painting is very difficult and that's why I'm in there just whacking at it every day hoping for something to happen <laughs>
0: What what did we miss in this conversation? What what elements of fear did we not bring up that you've encountered as an artist? Well, I wanted to ask you
2: guys that. Um, in the beginning, I think there's... In the beginning, when you're entering it as a, a new artist, you're learning to paint. You don't even know what it is that you want to do yet. What kind of fears did you have in the beginning and how did that change? Like, even fear with whether... you you're going to get the right education or learn the, the, the craft or whatever. I think the biggest fear is probably how do I make a living at this, right? That's a real fear. And so I'm wondering how you guys dealt with that and how that changed. And
1: Yeah, I, I feel like for me, the fears that I carry are different than when I first started. And part of it was because, again, you don't know very much. You know, I think for me, there is an underlying fear of if I stop painting, will I start again? And I haven't painted anything Mm -hmm. since July 19th. And I'm in the process of prepping some new work. And this is the longest stopgap I've had in a while. And then, you know, the other thing is, you know, can I make the work that I want to make while I still can? And for me, those those are fears that are understandable and are okay. I think that there are some artists who are so wrapped up in fear and insecurity and doubt and competitiveness that it turns into this lack of generosity with each other. Because I think at the end of the day, we're all, as artists, uh, a kind of community and support. You know, I, I don't know how many times that I've contacted other folks to be like, hey, what do you think of this painting at this moment? Or what do you think of this idea? Or can you look over this thing with me? Um, it's really important to. Force yourself into a situation where it's not all about you and about your ego.
0: Mm. You know, for me, I think uh, one of those fears is because I am so kind of immersed in art in different avenues is really am I spread too thin? I think sometimes with my own artistic practice, you know, I am a collector. I'm a, a gallery owner. I'm a curator. I'm now a podcaster. Um, You know, but they all seem to really kind of tie together for me in my own practice. Just even looking at some of the the things that I've been doing during the pandemic and having these really uh, engaging kind of uh, conversations outside of the gallery, I almost look at that curatorial practice as my art practice. So for me, some of that fear, I think, is really about, can I do what I want to do with what the time that I have left? I think that uh, comes up. What could we tell, you know, struggling artists that are kind of grappling with these same things uh, to help them overcome their fears? What What would you say, Kwang?
2: I think one of the best advice ever gotten was from a friend and collector, uh, an older gentleman who's he's he's one of he's he's eighty five now, and he told me he said, "Kwang, you know the the secret to my success," and he's very wealthy, and he said keep your needs simple and your expectations low <laughs> i thought it was so good <laughs> i thought it was so brilliant and you know and for me that was that's how i really lived my life you know i came from vietnam we came over here and uh, let's see 1975 with just the clothes on our back and so anything after that was an upgrade so you know for me it was like if i i was washing dishes at 350 an hour Uh, minimum wage. I saved every dime. And I have, that have always worked for me. I've never been without, I have never been broke. (laughs) Even when I had just 20 bucks, you know? (laughs) And so, uh, so I, that's why I just, I'm just like, I don't know how, I don't even know how to say it. I just feel so lucky, but I really don't feel lucky. I'm just doing what I do, you know, and just make sure I'm one step ahead of And literally just that concept of selling a painting, it's like, oh, good, then I can continue to explore. And for me, uh, that little bit of freedom of just a few months ahead and then now it's years ahead where I can paint whatever the hell I want and I don't have to answer to anybody. And and I have that luxury now. And if I didn't, I would be worrying about what I'm going to paint next for the next show and who's going to buy that. And then fear grips you at that point. So, you know what I mean? So being practical on that level allows me to not be afraid of, you know, now I can afford to say, I don't give a shit what everybody thinks about my work. I'm going to do what I want to do.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and Daisy, what would you tell somebody who's just starting out?
1: Gosh, um, you know, well, I, I think that if you're a painter, there's a very specific ethos that you deal with versus just other artwork you know, some of the advice I've heard is like, you can't be an artist if you're not making artwork, even if it's (laughs) bad. Uh, I I, I had a painting professor as an undergrad who would tell me about how as a a recent immigrant to England, uh, to the UK, I think he was in London, he was working as a dishwasher. And then at night, Into this really tiny cramped apartment and would paint every single night. And so, you you know, I think that especially if you're a painter, it's a a ritual. There's a ritual involved. You're making work, you're painting every single day. Even if you're just sitting in your studio, priming panels and preparing for stuff, you know, you need to, it's, it's a, it's like an exercise regime. You have to constantly be there and working at it. It, These are muscles. And, you know, the other thing that I think is really important, especially for struggling artists is studio visits, studio visit swaps Mm. specifically, you learn so much from each other, you learn different tips. And then also, it's a way of you're forced to have to explain what it is that you're making. And then also, you're being exposed to how other people work and think about art making, which is going to be very different from your own. And I think as long as you're not the kind of person that goes into a studio and says, I'm going to steal that which I've had happen. Um, And that's not an exaggeration. I've literally had someone come and say, I like your work. I'm going to steal it. Oh God. (laughs) I think that it's really important because, you know, generosity is such an important thing as an artist because we're all so, it's such a small, such a small community. We all know each other. Social media keeps closing those gaps. And so having uh, a respect for each other and for our own practices. And that includes in a studio visit and that includes in interacting at whatever space that you're in, because you never know when your next opportunity is going to come from someone that you've met.
0: Thank you guys so much for joining us today. I really appreciate you being so open and vulnerable with your conversations. And uh, I look forward to having a studio visit with you both very soon. Cool.
2: Yeah. Great. Nice chat with you.
1: Thanks so much for having me.
0: Thank you everyone for listening to the Artbound Podcast. For more information about the guests and what we've discussed, go to artistnetwork.com/slash artbound. You can also find ways to connect with me and the Artbound team. We'd love to hear from you. If you've enjoyed the show, subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever else you listen. Artbound is an Artist Network podcast and produced by Golden Peak Media. It's hosted by me, Doug Cassina. Our producer is Daisha Clay with audio engineering by Evan Rutherford. Director of podcasts is Jared Mayer. Executive producer for Artist Network is Scott Meyer. Trisha Waddell is the director of content. Sarah Van Patter handles all our marketing. And Vanessa Childers does all things digital. If you'd like more information on sponsoring or advertising on Artbound, go to goldenpeakmedia.com. I'm Doug Cassina. Until next time.